Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of 18 in Life, the Pac-12 Hoops podcast. My name is Jeff Newser, joined, as usual, by my co-host, Seth Colin. One guy whose voice you won't hear is Jeff Collier. He's our producer. And Seth, um, I suppose a good place to start would be uh, what seems to be sort of a total cluster down there in Westwood with the Bruins, losing their first two, having all sorts of drama going on with uh, Reeves Nelson. He's suspended, then he's not suspended, then he misses a flight, then he eventually gets to Hawaii. What do you make of what's going on down there uh, with UCLA? Well, just, I mean, before the season, it seemed to me like, I mean, uh, Howland just seems to have kind of is not in control of what's going on down there. And, you know, Lee and, and uh, Honeycutt leaving for the NBA and not getting to be high picks and him saying he said something, well, well, these guys get a lot of advice from a lot of places. And, you know, you'd think that they'd, you know, listen to some advice from their coach, at, at least when he's a coach at like a major university at, like UCLA. Um, and then this season, you know, this whole situation with Reese Nelson not being able to get him kind of under control, it just doesn't seem like personally he's doing very well with the players. And, and you know, part of the, them leaving could just be having to do with them not enjoying playing for him. So, um, yeah, I don't know. And, and they just they, – they still just have these weaknesses that they haven't addressed at guard that has been going on now for three years. And, you know, losing to Middle Tennessee State by 20 points, now they have to go to Hawaii and play in the Maui Invitational with a bunch of really good teams. Uh, it's, just, it's just a bad scene. And, I mean, at UCLA, it's just not uh, – people down there do not accept this kind of stuff. Yeah, you do start to wonder at some point, you know, what's going on with, uh, you know, with the players leaving. And it's not just that, it's, you know, it's transfers. Um, you know, it's it's Mike Mosier transferring to UNLV. There was another guy, it's Drew Gordon transferring to New Mexico. Um, you know, at, at some point you just kind of look and you, you just go, okay, I mean, there seems to be a reasonable explanation sort of for all of it, but... Yet at the same time, you, you kind of start to go, okay, you know, at, at what point do you start saying, okay, there, you know, th- this team has has a talent issue, and talented players are leaving, and talented players are getting suspended, and you know, it's just sort of, I, I mean, you know, I mean, UCLA fans will tell you, oh, this is sort of a, a long time coming with Nelson, and you know, he tends to pout, and you know, all these things, and you know, and I look at a guy who who plays his butt off, playing with a bunch of guys who don't always play their butt off, and. You know, not that that excuses away some of his behavior, but it also, you know, in my mind at least sort of maybe explains some of it. I don't know. Um, you know, as I'm looking at their stats, you know, one of the one of the interesting things that I note is uh, their opponents are shooting a tidy 76.9% against them from three-point range, yeah. um, which is sort of obviously, you know, a total anomaly. Um, you know, even if you're – Three-point defense is the worst three-point defense in the history of three-point defense. You'd have a hard time giving up 77% from three over the course of two games. Um, and then the flip side is they're shooting 17% from three um, in those two games. So it just is sort of a little, I don't know, like, I, I honestly am not sure how much to make of this start. I mean, it's it's obviously not good, but at the same time, it's kind of like, I don't know how many teams would be, uh, you know, you know how many teams wouldn't be zero and two if you know the other team was just you know shooting just ungodly percentages against you? Well, yeah, I suppose, but I mean, it just—I mean, how are teams even getting off that many 
threes against them. It just doesn't make any sense. It's like you've got all these huge players, like you've got Smith and Nelson in the middle. Like, wouldn't you be guarding pretty tight on the perimeter and, like, pushing them into the middle? I don't – I mean, I guess Smith's been out with a lot of um, – he's been in foul trouble and whatever, but – yeah, I mean this is this is true. I mean teams teams are not going to keep shooting seventy seven percent from three against them, but um, but just the whole way that they've reacted to this start. I mean basically two games in, all of a sudden, well one game in, Nelson was suspended, and now you know, but he said he misses the slide, and uh, I don't know. They'll hopefully they'll. I mean hopefully for the Pac twelve overall. I mean I'm sure most of us kind of who are not UCLA fans kind of look at UCLA, and anytime something bad happens, just kind of think, oh, ha-ha, but for the Pac-12 overall, UCLA is the marquee program. For them to be struggling, it's just not not good. But yeah, now they play, let's see, so Monday they play Chaminade, which they lose to Chaminade. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, Ben Hallam might get fired on the spot. He might get fired on the spot. If they lose to Chaminade. But regardless, if they, they're going to play either Georgetown or Kansas next, and then they're going to play either Duke, Tennessee, Michigan, or Memphis. Uh... So, I don't know. You know, I mean, they're talented. Hopefully they pull out a win in one of those games um, and make themselves feel better. Yeah, it's, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, you mentioned, like, you know, how they got open looks or or whatever. As I'm looking at, at, at sort of their profile, um, teams are only shooting threes on less than 25% of their shots, which is, is fairly low. That's, that's like the 27th lowest, uh, you know, ratio in the country. And so, no, all right. Well, that's, yeah, so that's the, something. They're not shooting many, but the ones that they are shooting, they're draining. And so, yeah, and and I think you know they they do have I think a little bit of a larger problem in their defense in the sense that their their two point percentage given up is over fifty one percent, which is um, down in the lower third of of uh, Division one basketball at this point, which is not something you would expect with uh, with the front line that they have. Uh, you know, between Josh Smith and, and the Ware twins and, you know, Reeves and also obviously Nelson didn't play in the, in the game against Middle Tennessee State. But, you know, at the same time, it's just sort of, you know, that's, that is a little bit troubling, you know, in a sense that, uh, that they're not doing a better job defending, defending the interior. Although I will say again, I, I did not watch the Middle Tennessee game. I did watch the Loyola game, Loyola Marymount game. And, uh, you know, the twos, that they did hit, and they hit a lot of them. The twos that Loyola Marymount did hit were, uh, a lot of them were jumpers, and they were not sort of the kinds of twos that you would typically expect your your opponent to hit at a high rate. Um, you know, typically when you're giving up that kind of a two-point percentage, you're usually talking about, you know, lots of, uh, you know, layups or post moves or whatever, and that, that wasn't the case against them. And I don't know, again, if that's if that was the case against Middle Tennessee, but, you know, there's 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 a part of me that believes that, at least to some degree, that this is a little bit of bad luck if you just look at, um, if you just look at the stats. But, again, you know, when you factor in sort of the human element and the, and the chaos that seems to have surrounded this program for the last couple of years, um, you know, certainly I don't think you can, you can completely separate all that. I do look at, you know, they do, they, they should, should beat Chaminade. Um, but, uh, you know, beyond that, whoever they play, I mean, that's obviously a loaded tournament. It's the Maui Invitational. Obviously, that's, that's a game, that's, that's a tournament that, uh, is sort of a marquee, um, tournament for ESPN every year. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I kind of look at it as, all right, you know, so UCLA, you know, started with these two horrible games and this is, you know, this is an opportunity for them to um, kind of come back. I, you know, I'd say honestly, playing probably playing good teams. You know, obviously it's either going to be 
maybe the best thing that could have happened to them to kind of snap them out of their funk, or it's maybe the worst thing if they if they sort of exit this thing with um, a pair of losses to some high profile teams. Another team that played in played in a tournament, a, a relatively high profile tournament, was Arizona, and uh, Arizona beat St. John's, opened up by beating St. John's, and then one night later um, lost to Mississippi State, which you know the Bulldogs have been sort of an enigma the last couple of years while trying to get Renardo Sydney eligible, their big center, and then trying to keep him eligible, which proved to be a challenge with his antics. But, uh, you know, on some level, the Bulldogs seem to have perhaps put it together, and, you know, Arizona, um, you know, struggled a bit in that game. The interesting thing is uh, they uh, gave up, you know, they, they gave up sort of a really, it's sort of an odd-looking box score as I'm looking at it. Um, only one player from Mississippi State scored in, in double figures, and that is, I'm looking up his name here, I see his last name, Rhett, Rhett Arnett, Arnett Moultrie, gave up a guy I've mm-hmm. never, ever, ever heard of. Um, but he's 6'11", 250, which should not surprise, uh, looks like he's a UTEP transfer, um, should not surprise given uh, the struggles that Arizona has had on the interior. Yeah, well, I mean, it was, uh, I believe it was tied with about a couple minutes to go, and then and then Mississippi State won a little bit of a run, and um you know, I mean, Arizona has not. I mean, they beat St. John's like a legitimate team, um, and they, I mean, essentially on the road at Madison Square Garden. So to me, that's a pretty that's a pretty big win. Um, they played Mississippi State basically solid, uh, and so um, and Sydney, you know, eight shots, two boards. I mean, you know, who knows if he even bothered to show up? But given the fears of uh, Arizona not being able to contend down low with, you know big players, they seem to do okay. So, although Moultrie's a forward and he scored 19 points, so I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think so, I think overall probably a pretty good weekend for Arizona or a pretty good week for Arizona. And they certainly don't look as, you know, I mean, when they lost the exhibition game to Seattle Pacific, you wouldn't have said they'd come back two weeks later and beat St. John's in New York City. So um, I think they're probably on, looking up on the rise. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, it's it's not you know St. John's isn't isn't world beaters. Um, you know, they're only ranked 111th or whatever right now in uh, in Ken Pomeroy's rankings. Mississippi State actually ranked significantly higher than that, 76. So perhaps they're they're sort of putting together um, you know a better season. And and you know it's it's going to you know like you said going to Madison Square Garden, playing two games, coming back one and one uh, in a tournament like that, especially when you're playing back to back. I always feel like I think people overrate perhaps some of that um i mean when else are you going to play back to back games you know i mean it's usually you're playing you know a game and then a day off and then a game if you're you know if you're depending on what conference you're in or depending on you know if it's the NCAA tournament or whatever but you know when you're when you're playing games in consecutive days it's kind of, i don't know to me it's a little i know we're talking about you know essentially teenagers for the most part but um you know i think i think there's a level of unusualness to that for for these guys and i mean arizona that was arizona's fifth game in what was it 11 days you know which is again probably the the most games they'll play in that sort of a stretch um all year so i think you know if i'm an arizona fan i'm i'm pretty i'm pretty pleased i'm not uh you know i'm not i'm not i don't think too mad they do have an interesting opportunity this week uh, they do play san diego state on wednesday um, San Diego State obviously lost uh, lost a lot, a lot of talent, but uh, but the Aztecs do have some talent remaining, um, and uh, Steve Fisher is obviously proven himself to be a pretty decent coach at this point. So, uh, but that game's at home, so it should be should be uh, a win. But you know, you don't uh, you never know, and uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to find out. Washington, on the other hand, continuing sort of the trend.
trend of bad news. Um, traveling to St. Louis, which little known fact, I think for most listeners, they probably don't know or don't realize that uh, St. Louis was was Lorenzo Romar's previous stop. And uh, they apparently got ambushed by those uh, sneaky Billikens out there and uh, and Rick Majerus. So. Yeah, it was, uh, well, I mean, there's a couple things. I think uh, it was a 9 o'clock start Pacific time, 11 in, I haven't, I, I bet, you know, Majerus, he's a cagey fellow. And I suspect that starting a game at 11 o'clock in the morning was not, you know, because everyone in the St. Louis University area is just like extreme early risers. I suspect he probably said it as early as he could because he wanted to get the Huskies off, sort of off balance, which he definitely did. They came out and just got run in the first half. They were down 50 to 25 at halftime. And St. Louis is not a team that, I mean, St. Louis is a team that scores in like the 60s and 70s. For them to put up 50 points and a half is kind of mental. But if you are a Husky fan and you remember the Husky, the, the years, probably like Isaiah Thomas's freshman and sophomore years, I guess. Well, more of his freshman year when there was a lot of, uh, you know, one pass and shoot or no passes and shoot and guys were just, you know, trying to score off the dribble constantly. That's what was happening in this game. There's just no, you know, there was no teamwork really on offense, no plan really on offense. And they just, St. Louis is too good on defense to, to, to make that work. And then they were hitting pretty much all their shots and the Huskies got such a big hole. And they got in foul trouble early with uh, Gant got two fouls, well, three fouls early, basically. NGI got a couple early fouls. Both of them picked up charges, which is not really in the game plan. So um, they were really thin on the front line. They had to play Sean Kemp Jr. They had to play Martin Brunig, which I, I don't think had gotten any like real action yet. He played a lot. So, um, yeah, it just was sort of a sort of a mess from the start, and they could never really recover. The score ended up looking pretty reasonable, but it was not that close. Well, one of the interesting things is that, uh, you know, people will remember that Rick Majerus built some pretty good defensive teams, uh, out there in, uh, you know, out there in Utah when he was there. And, and, uh, he's doing the same thing now in St. Louis. Um, last year they were, they were rated 47th overall by Ken Pomeroy's adjusted defensive efficiency, which is, um, sort of something I look pretty closely at. Their offense lagged way, way behind last year, which is sort of their, um, the reason for their for their struggles, and you know they as as I'm looking at their results from last year, because you kind of say, okay, you know how does how does a team you know sort of make that jump, you know from a you know sort of an also ran. I mean they were they only had 12 wins a year ago, you know won six games in the A10. Um, you know how does a team like that sort of seem to start be making a jump? Because I you know I'd argue that so far they look pretty. Uh, pretty legit, you know, at this point, and, and how did they make that jump? Well, last year, they, they lost a ton of close games, and, and, you know, you see that quite often, you know, they lost a ton of close games, you know, a lot of games by, like, six points or less, and, um, you know, there's some pretty, pretty good, uh, pretty good evidence out there to suggest that, you know, games that you lose by, you know, that sort of a margin, um, come down to sometimes a lot of luck, you know, one call, one shot, one way or the other, you know, those sorts of things, and so, you know, when you take a young team as they had last year, um, their top four players in terms of uh, percentage of percentage of possessions used last year were all freshmen. <laughs> they did not have one senior make a significant, meaningful contribution <laughs> to the team last year, and so uh, they are. 
Um, you know, they seem to be Majerus seems to maybe finally have uh, have gotten gotten things going in the right direction there. I mean, they were they put up some pretty. I mean, the first two games were only Tennessee State and Southern Illinois, but um, they put up some pretty ridiculous defensive numbers in those games. Um, you know, limiting their opponents to under seventy um, or point seven points per possession, which one point would be average. And and they held Washington to under one point which is probably about the same as holding those other teams to, you know, 0.6 and 0.59 and those kinds of things. So um, really impressive, and I don't know that there's that much – I don't think that there's that much shame in going out there and, and, and losing, I think, that, you know, early in the season. Um, You know, and honestly, I'll I'll even say this, that – um, you know, Romar has sort of developed a little bit of a reputation for playing no actually – you know, no road games, basically, um, never venturing outside of the state of Washington. The last couple of years, he seems to have done that. I think, uh, you know, it seems to me that, that, that Washington will be will be better off for having done this. Uh, the other sort of top-tier team that, that is, you know, floating around the Pac-12 here is Cal. And uh, Cal is the one team, sort of, that hasn't, you know, that's expected to be up there near the top that, that has not seemed – to stumble yet, and uh, you know they haven't really played anyone, but uh, but you know always a good sign when you look convincing, beating uh, beating the three sort of middling teams that you do play. Yeah, I mean they you know they they they're you know pretty much a veteran team, so you sort of expect them to come out and um, beat those teams. Um, you know I'm sort of more interested to see uh, when they're going to play uh, more advanced teams. I don't know when does that happen. Are they in a they're in a tournament of some sort, I believe. Coming yeah, up, yeah, yeah, they are in a tournament. They do play uh, actually Georgia tonight. We're recording this early Monday morning. Uh, they do play Georgia tonight, so Georgia's a fairly, you know, fairly average, uh, you know, power conference type team. Um, so that's that's a good one. I don't see who they play next they would because play the, Notre Dame or Missouri the next round. Okay, yeah. So that would be something. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. So those are that second round game. Whichever way they go, if they if they win or lose against Georgia. Um, you know, either one of those games, I think, would be would be a good challenge and and give us a little more a little more information there about uh, about Cal. The interesting thing to me is that uh, you know once again their their offense is looking awfully 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 good. They're 18th in uh, adjusted offensive efficiency by uh, by Pomeroy's rating system, and and so that's uh, you know I'd, I'd say that's a fairly positive development for them, and that their defense is coming around a little bit and. You know, I don't know. It's it's interesting. You know, they are veteran, like you said, and and you know, it's always good, I guess, when you can sort of pile up, you know, some of these early season victories and not not stub your toe as maybe some of these other teams that are still finding themselves have. Yeah. Well, I mean, Crab especially has been pretty incredible. He's shooting forty one percent from three. He's has what does he have here? Uh, Fifty points on forty five shots. I mean, he's he's had a pretty had a pretty solid year so far, and, and looks like he's well, he's a sophomore, but he seems to have a kind of like senior offensive game already. Um, but they, you know, there's not a lot of other guys doing any scoring for them. So it'll be interesting to see when they when they do face some teams who I would imagine that Alan Crabb at six six and playing essentially shooting guard is a bit of a tough massive tough matchup for the Austin Peas of the world. So when they do get against a team that can. Uh, have you noticed that I'm sort of down on Cal no matter what? I'm just against Cal all year. I don't know what it is. Everything about Cal, I'm just I'm just not convinced. I wasn't convinced last year. I'm not convinced this year. We'll see. They'll probably prove me wrong, like go undefeated in the conference. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm holding out. Georgia <coughs> is 
pretty – sorry, I apologize. Georgia, well, shoot, at least last year has some pretty good length, so I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how they how they perform. Uh, well, another team, we were doing all bad news, but one team that's sort of outperformed uh, at this point is Oregon State, which was the one team that, would, you know, we had said that maybe at the start of the year that Craig Robinson might be a little bit feeling the heat on the hot seat, but uh, they basically tore through their – non-conference schedule. Now they beat Texas 100 to 95 in overtime, but 100 to 95 on a Saturday night in a tournament in New Jersey. And they play uh, Vanderbilt tonight, tonight being Monday. So, I mean, that's a pretty nice win. Jared Cunningham had 37, 37 points. That's good. Yeah. It's, you know, um, the way that you feel about Cal is the way I have felt about Oregon state. So, uh, <laughs> I think, I think that makes us about even, I, you know, I've, I have remained unconvinced by, uh, by, uh, Craig Robinson and, and, and his, his thing going on out there. But, you know, I, I do notice some interesting things that, you know, for example, uh, you know, I think a lot of people, uh, sort of, you know, in Robinson's first couple of years, sort of uh, equated him with with sort of this slow plotting, you know, Prince. He brought you know the Princeton style. You know, they they sort of you know identified him with that. But then, but then you look and and you know about the second half of last year, they all of a sudden turned up the tempo, and yeah. uh, they got some. You know, they've got Jared Cunningham, you know, guy you already mentioned, who's who's incredibly athletic, and you know they've got some other guys who are athletic as well, and. Um, you know, Roberto Nelson being one of them, and and you just kind of go, okay, so you, t- you turn it up and sort of turn them loose. You go, okay, well, is this is this sort of gimmicky, or is this, um, you know, is this for real? Can they sustain this? You know, all these things. Well, lo and behold, this year, um, they have yet to have a game played at less than seventy possessions, which seventy is sort of the mark for you're playing pretty fast. Um, and and the game against Texas was at eighty two possessions, which um, to put up a hundred points in eighty two possessions, you don't have to be a math whiz to know that's a pretty darn good ratio, and so. Um, you know, yeah, it's you know, I wish I had seen it. Um, I don't know, was it on ESPN? If it was, I'd, I'll probably try to yeah, go back and watch it. it. <laughs> yeah, okay, so three. try and go back and watch on ESPN three. I just I didn't catch a lot of basketball in the last about three or four days because I you know I made the trip over to Pullman uh, to watch that snowfest uh, against Utah. So so I didn't see a lot of stuff, but I'll you know I'll try to catch up this week. And you know I'm definitely interested to watch the game against Vanderbilt tonight. You know Vanderbilt, um, you know may or may not be uh, you know as good. They were you know preseason sort of number seven, um, have not maybe impressed quite that much um, after sort of a narrow victory against Oregon. Um, at home, and the, you know, not necessarily. I guess you know they lose to Cleveland State, also at home. Um, you know, kind of beat Bucknell by twelve. <laughs> I mean, they just sort of. I don't know. They're not. They're not looking quite as impressive as as maybe the number seven team overall should. But uh, it's you know it'll be good for Oregon State, and that uh, you know if they can somehow win this one as well tonight, um, you know that'll be something that. Um, you know, they can they maybe hang their hat on a little bit at least to say, you know, they can point to, you know, hey look, we beat, you know, a ranked team early in the year, even if maybe Vandy doesn't turn out to be that good. And and, you know, the um the other thing with Vanderbilt, and I guess this is, you know, obviously um something important to mention. That that number seven ranking, preseason ranking was um was put together with a guy named Festus Izili um as part of their lineup. And Azili is is a guy who, you know, many people thought could have been, you know, a little bit of a candidate for SEC player of the year and, and could still Obviously, be once he once he gets eligible, but um, you know, playing without him, Vanderbilt's a very very different team. So, uh, but would be a good chance for Oregon State to get that. Maybe the NCAA committee will forget that Azili didn't play in the game. I don't know. So, 
What are some uh, other things? Let's see. Hey, Oregon, by the way. So let's talk about some more bad news. Jabari Brown. Right. What's up with that? I don't know. I, I don't know, know either. Days for Oregon athletics. I mean, yeah. Just, you know, it reminds me of last year. Uh, last year when um, what's his name left? Gary Franklin was that the guy's name? Left Cal, just left out of the middle of nowhere. Uh, I think that was that guy's name. But, yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know, he's like they're one of their top recruits. And he was doing the team in scoring in Italy when they did this Italy tour. And, uh, you know, he wasn't playing, I guess, as much as he wanted to or I don't know what, but quit the team. Yeah, yeah it was, you know, and it's it's not even one. He he was like the, you know, the good nugget, you know, for, for uh, yeah. you know, Altman. I mean, when Altman got him to admit, uh, it was sort of like, wow, you know, and, and he was he was sort of the, I don't know, the the, the light. No, the lighthouse. <laughs> the the the, you know, he was he was the guy that was sort of attracting other people. It's like, okay, well, look at that. And then all of a sudden, he just, I mean, just up and leaves. You know, which is sort of insane. Um, it looks like you know Altman tried to talk him out of it. You know, tried to tried to get him to stay. This wasn't a situation where, you know, the coaching staff was kind of nudging him out the door. Um, he no. was playing tons of minutes. Uh, you know, it's just sort of like as I'm reading Andy Katz's blog here, he says the Ducks are flustered, wondering what else they could have done to prevent this departure. If Brown follows through and doesn't come back, this will be a season-changing decision for the Ducks. Yeah, I'd say so. You know, I mean, he was yeah. he was pretty clearly their most uh, their most talented natural scorer. Um, you know, the the whole thing is just sort of. I don't know, man. Yeah, we, the bad weekend to be a Ducks fan. You know? yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know really what else to say um, other than that. I, well, you know, I mean, they can talk him out of it. He's a. <laughs> <coughs> Damn it! Woo! Oh uh, yeah. Sorry about this. I'm fighting this flu all week. He's a freshman. You know, he's just left home. He's is it three weeks in or something? Maybe he'll you know calm down and. And they'll forgive him and they'll bring him back or something. But, uh, but yeah, who knows? I mean, you never know what's going on. And then I guess Tony Woods, who's their transfer big man, he got has an ankle injury and he's getting x-rays. So, um, so we'll see if he's going to, if he'll be out for a substantial amount of time. Um, but yeah, just a weird, a weird thing to have happen for them. I don't know. Let's see. Shoot. Uh, well, we've talked about pretty much everybody. We didn't talk about Stanford, but they haven't played anybody yet. They're playing Oklahoma State this this week, and then whoever makes the final of the Dips, Dick's Sporting Goods NICT season tip-off, or I guess they could play the consolation game. So I don't know. I don't know what to say about Stanford. They again, they haven't they haven't really haven't played anybody good, but they've beat the teams that they've played by a pretty, pretty substantial margin. Yeah, and that's always a good sign. I mean, you know, I mean, it's uh, you know, if you if you're playing bad teams, beat them handily, and and it appears that appears that Stanford is doing that. Oklahoma State will be a good test for them. Um, it'll give us a good chance to to figure out um, exactly where they're at. Oklahoma State is a team that I sort of saw um, up close and and personal to some degree last year because they they traveled to Pullman uh, to NIT. Um, one thing that the that the Cowboys are doing you know very well so far is they're they're playing playing defense. They're playing really good defense, even though again they're they they they're sort of in the same boat as as the Cardinal in that they they really haven't played anybody either. They've played you know Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, Arkansas, Pine Bluff, and Texas San Antonio. Um, I don't know if there are any more directional Texas schools for them to play, but um, <laughs> they just sort of have you know they've played well though. I mean you know again it's they played well. Um, one thing that they um, 
you know that they that they have done uh, pretty well actually is is defend inside and uh, not give up a lot of trips to the free throw line, which is good. But I'm 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 assuming they have not faced a front line like Stanford's yet with with the athleticism that the Cardinal have up front. So I'm um, going to be interesting to see uh, how much of this with with Oklahoma State is for real. The one thing I do remember about Oklahoma State is I do remember them being a very guard centric team um, in terms of uh, in terms of their personnel. And so you know it'll be uh, it will be interesting to see um, you know which which sort of I don't know. Style wins out, you know, whether it's it's you know Stanford's interior play or whether it's uh, Oklahoma State's perimeter play. I don't know anything else interesting. Washington State won last night. Uh, they they're two and one after you know beating a couple of not great teams. They beat Sacramento State by a not very impressive margin, uh, mostly because Ken Bone decided he was going to play like eleven guys in the first half and just shuttle guys in and out when they didn't play hard <laughs> to try and, yeah to try and send a message and then uh, spent the the rest of the then finally let them get into a rhythm in the second half and they pulled away and they beat portland last should, night on the road which you know was interesting so it's good i think we should mention the uh uh the disgrace that was the cal poly usc game yeah uh, cal poly uh which is coached by former clu coach uh joe calero who actually was a usc assistant briefly um and they're in San Luis Obispo. They, they they play a sort of a similar kind of slowdown style as USC, and the result was Cal Poly and USC played, and Cal Poly won 42-36. to 36. Um, it Single-handedly was to 30, I, think the US, I think the USC-Oregon football game was a bigger, was a higher score than that. It was close anyway. Close. Uh, 20, it was 20-13 to 13 at halftime, USC, but, uh, but um, Cal Poly turned up the scoring juice in the second half, yeah. there was a player for Grinnell College, which plays an insanely up-tempo style, the Division Three school, who scored 89 points over the weekend. So he actually scored more points in that game than Cal Poly and USC scored combined in their game on, uh, I guess this was Saturday. So, I don't know, Maurice Jones, who is going to play every minute of every game for USC, is already tiring. He was 1 for 11 from the field. Uh, just, just, Just pretty... Pretty awful. I think it's just glad. Just be glad that you weren't there. Yeah, two thousand six hundred six people, unfortunately, yeah. were subjected to that. That is the official. <laughs> word, although I can't imagine. Yeah. So anyway, that's pretty awful. USC, just come on. Yeah, bad, that. bad <laughs> shooting. Um, they are both teams shot under thirty three percent effective field goal percentage, which is a a stat that combines two point and three point percentage. And uh, let's just say I think I believe average is somewhere around like forty seven percent or something like that. Um, so for both teams to be down there, uh, that that is a heck of a lot of bricks. And then sort of beyond that, so USC was bricking everything in sight and then only rebounded 20% of their own misses, which is um, also pretty uh, really, really, really low. And so they, uh, they um, not only did they miss just about every shot, but then they didn't rebound really any of those misses. And, uh, yeah, that's just a recipe for really, really terrible offense. And, you know, we, we already know that Kevin O'Neill is, is not exactly an offensive guru, uh, but with with all the guys that that he either is missing or has lost or or whatever, um, you know, it's just it's going to be it's going to be a long season. I think, you know, it's pretty 
it might be that uh you know that the USC and Utah are sort of maybe battling it out for uh for the bottom of the conference and you know we can't uh, we can't forget Arizona State in that respect although they did put up you know they did put up uh you know after losing to Pepperdine at home the uh, the powerhouse that is Pepperdine they did put up a respectable fight against New Mexico which is uh you know, a reasonable team and a team Washington State may face if they uh, if they win their first round game against uh, Oklahoma on Thursday on Thanksgiving. So if you have, you know, if you're if you're done with turkey all day, you know, if you've uh, if you've eaten your turkey, you've watched uh, your football earlier in the day, and you're not inclined to watch the NFL Network later in the evening, you'll be able to catch uh, the Washington State Cougars a little bit later that night, uh, playing in the '76 Classic. Uh, is there anything else we we perhaps overlooked or or didn't cover? <laughs> oh man! Let me let me pick up right here. Uh, Utah one and two, Colorado I think two and two. Pretty much everything. I think I think to me the most interesting thing of the week, and I'll, the thing I'll try to catch is the USC UCLA at the Maui Invitational. I mean, it's a tough tournament. You play three straight games um, against you know really really good teams. I mean, they, you know, obviously they've got to beat Chaminade. I'm sure they're going to beat Chaminade. They're not going to lose to Chaminade. That game's on six thirty at six thirty on Monday. Um, but uh, but to see if they can, you know, I mean, they've got the talent. Um, see if they can put it together. And, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if, if Reeves Nelson plays after missing this, you know, getting suspended, coming back, and then missing the team bus to catch the flight to Hawaii. Um, and I think that'll be the most interesting thing that's going on in the conference to watch this week. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things I'm really looking forward to this week, number one, other than the fact that I only have a three-day work week, which is always, um, yeah, always pleasant as a, as a teacher. But um, beyond that, you know, one of the things I am interested in looking at is there are tons, tons, you know, and thanks to ESPN. I know ESPN gets ripped a lot, you know, and that's and, – and, and somewhat somewhat fairly at times. But, you know, ESPN taking over sort of the, the tournament business, um, which, you know, for those of you who don't know, that's, that's pretty much what's happened. ESPN Properties owns kind of all of these tournaments. Um, one of the things that, that has sort of been the upshot of that is that you get – because ES, what ESPN does, it signs teams to like a, like a three-year contract, I think it is. And then they basically assign them to tournaments. Um, and I know this because, you know, Washington State is in the midst of one of those. They, they signed a contract. Last year they were sent out to the uh, the Diamond Head Classic, you know, over Christmas uh, out there in, in, in Hawaii. Um, this year they're being sent to that 76 Classic down in Anaheim. Um, and I don't know, I can't remember exactly where they're being sent next year. But, but one of the interesting things about it is that ESPN is able to sort of manipulate the tournaments in order to create, you know, reasonably interesting matchups. I know that, you know, even as, as recently as five, six, seven years ago, you would get these tournaments where you would have, you know, you know, sort of imbalanced. You know, maybe you'd have one or two real high-profile teams, and then like, you know, four middling teams, and then like two really terrible teams. And what ESPN has done is they've sort of, you know, moved these teams around a little bit to create these, I guess, you know, some, somewhat desirable tournaments where you're not, you know, stuck with a bunch of, um, you know, blowouts, which is sort of in their best interest because, you know, their their whole job is to attract and hold eyeballs. And so, you know, if they're putting together sort of these compelling, interesting matchups, um, you know, people are obviously much more likely to watch. And, and you know, so they, they put together, you know, the Maui Invitational is a monster tournament now every year. That's sort of like their, I think their, you know, sort of their flagship one outside of, uh, you know, maybe the, the preseason NIT, you know, but they, they send these, you know, they get these really great teams to head out. You know, Washington was in that tournament last year, played, you know, played really well. 
well against, you know, mm-hmm. they, they ended up, you know, losing to Michigan State and, and Kentucky, but, you know, played well out there. And, you know, so they, they, they put together these things. And, and so this week, I guess, you know, like I said, with, with all this time off and, you know, everything else, I'm, I'm really, I'm really interested to, to see some of these games and, and try to figure out, um, you know, where, where all these teams are. Cause I think it, it, this week will be, um, you know, be pretty informative. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's sort of the time of year when, when uh, teams have kind of gotten off of their, you know, cream puff schedule and, and, and start to match themselves up against teams from the rest of the, from the rest of the uh, country. And it'll go a long way toward, you know, what people are going to be saying about the Pac-10 uh, come tournament time, really. Yeah, it's you know a chance to to build a little bit of a, a little bit of a resume for some of these teams. So, um, going to be interesting to watch. All right, Seth, we will let your voice off the hook. Oh let God! You, uh, let Sorry, you, everyone. Let you go drink some hot tea or something with some with some honey in it, and uh, you know soothe those vocal cords. So, on behalf of Seth, I'm Jeff, um, and our producer Jeff Collier. Thanks a lot for joining us on 18 in Life, the Pac-12 Hoops podcast. We appreciate it. Uh, we will talk to you all again next week.